Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 138, I think. Before we start, I'd like to give a shout-out to Jason Morgani for liking the uh, Weekend Out Facebook page and judging by your profile pic, a fellow blonde Italian. I used to think we were something of a rarity, but according to my brother who's been to Italy uh, a few times, blonde Italians in northern Italy are a dime a dozen. But thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. Slowly but surely, the likes are adding up. I apologize if I'm a little late getting this week's episode out. Unless you've been living in a proverbial cave, you're probably aware of the uh, massive blizzard that the Northeast got hit with. And I'm, of course, here in uh, Massachusetts. But I don't know if that's really an excuse for getting the show out late. More of an observation, perhaps. But anyway, on with the show. So I hope you guys liked last week's special episode about the uh, Founding Fathers. I've long known that many of the Founders were deists, but researching that episode definitely taught me a few new things. Which reminds me of a kind of correction or clarification I wanted to make. I've said a couple of times, maybe on the show, maybe during interviews with uh, C-Web, that many of the Founding Fathers were deists and didn't believe in an interventionist god. Which is true, by definition, if you're a deist, you don't believe in an interventionist god. But should go without saying that not all the founders fit neatly into um, that category. For instance, as I mentioned last week, George Washington seemed to have deistic leanings, but may have been a theistic rationalist. Meaning, like the deist, he didn't believe in miracles, etc., but he may have very well believed in the intercessory power of prayer. We probably all remember back in school hearing how the Founding Fathers sometimes spoke of providence, usually uh, not Jesus or Christ, if you notice, but providence. This kind of vague divine power that governs or directs the destinies of men. And Dictionary.com has a few different definitions of uh, providence at least relating to the way in which I'm using it. Uh, One is the foreseeing care and guidance of God or nature over the creatures of the earth. Um, Two, God with a capital G, especially when conceived as omnisciently directing the universe and the affairs of humankind with wise benevolence. And three, a manifestation of divine care or direction. So I did make a video version of the episode in question, by the way. Somewhat amateurish, albeit, but uh, hopefully still with some merit. And it's funny, you know how when you're watching a YouTube video, a list of related or suggested videos appears to the right? Well, I followed some of them and discovered this whole strange new corner of the internet where there's devout Christians who, instead of rejecting the claim that the founders were deists, they surprisingly accept it, but then proceed to kind of vilify or demonize the founders for not being quote-unquote real Christians. I found it really surprising for some reason. I think I always had this idea in my mind that most American Christians lump mom, apple pie, Christianity, and the founding fathers into one patriotic basket. It was really weird hearing otherwise red, white, and blue Christians denouncing the uh, Founding Fathers. I think one of the videos I watched was a two- or three-hour-long documentary called The Hidden Faith of the Founding Fathers, I think. It criticizes the Founding Fathers for their deistic beliefs. It also goes after 
author uh, David Barton for trying to whitewash or revise the uh, religion or lack thereof of the founders. Some of you guys probably remember when Glenn Beck had his eponymous show on Fox News with all of the manic crocodile tears and the infamous whiteboard. Beck used to have David Barton on regularly, and he did indeed often try to overemphasize or exaggerate uh, the influence of Christianity on the Founding Fathers. In fact, a book he wrote about Jefferson had to be pulled from print because of inaccuracies. And uh, he tried to make it seem like Jefferson, uh, of course a staunch deist, thought that the separation of church and state should be one way, meaning government shouldn't be able to infringe on religion, but government shouldn't enjoy any protections from religious encroachment, which is ridiculous if you're familiar with uh, Jefferson's views on religion. If you missed last week's episode, you can check it out to hear some Jefferson quotes. And actually, here's a little bit of a summary of what I'm talking about uh, concerning Barton and his book um, from Wikipedia. The Jefferson Lies Withdrawn from Publication. In 2012, Barton's New York Times bestseller, The Jefferson Lies, was voted the least credible history book in print by users of the History News Network website. A group of 10 conservative Christian professors reviewed the work and formed a negative view of its claims, reporting that Barton has misstated facts about Jefferson. In August 2012, Christian publisher Thomas Nelson withdrew the book from publication and stopped production, announcing that they had lost confidence in the book's details and learned there were some historical details included in the book that were not adequately supported. Glenn Beck announced that his Mercury Inc. imprint would issue a new edition of the book once the 17,000 remaining copies that Barton bought of the Thomas Nelson edition had been sold. And then I think Barton also caught flack for a number of unconfirmed quotations that tried to make it seem like the uh, that some of the founders, including Jefferson, were, were more religious than they really were. But anyway, I wasn't sure what else I wanted to talk about today, so I guess I'll cover a news story. Uh, it seems that author Anne Rice has left Christianity again. Uh, <laughs> now, I remember when Anne Rice announced she had returned to Christianity, I was like, really? Not because I necessarily think there's anything wrong with being a Christian, besides the willful suspension of disbelief. Huh, kidding, kinda. But I remember really admiring Anne Rice as an author and for how her vampire novels, in a way, were these kind of existential allegories that resonated with me. So when I found out that she became Christian, as awful as it is to say, I found my respect for her diminished a little. And I'm not saying that I can't respect Christians. There's a lot of uh, great Christian authors uh, and thinkers, people like G.K. Chesterton, uh, C.S. Lewis, and there's even a lot of modern-day Christian apologists, even if you don't think they're completely intellectually honest or you don't agree with their, uh, with their views, you, you still have to uh, admire their intellect, you know, people like uh, William Lane Craig, etc. But I think maybe what made my respect for her diminish a little in particular was just that, that her being a Christian didn't really seem to jive with this image I had of her as this kind of dark, edgy, existential free thinker. But here's a brief passage from the Vampire Lestat that I always really liked. I feel like it kind of mirrors my own mindset um, 
from when I was young and struggling with the loss of God. And in this unbearable state of agitation, I commenced to do something I'd never done before. I turned to those around me and questioned them relentlessly. But do you believe in God? I asked my brother Augustine. How can you live if you don't? But do you really believe in anything? I demanded of my blind father. If you knew you were dying at this very minute, would you expect to see God or darkness? Tell me. I went to the village priest and demanded he really believe the body of Christ was present on the altar at the consecration. And after hearing his stammered answers and seeing the fear in his eyes, I went away more desperate than before. But how do you live? How do you go on breathing and moving and doing things when you know there is no explanation? See, and I absolutely love that, and it still kind of gives me the chills when I read it. I remember reading that uh, when I was younger and how much it um, spoke to my own existential kind of crises. But then I'm also thinking as I read that, maybe it does make a lot of sense that you return to Christianity in a sense, because you can hear the desperation for a sense of meaning in it. Um, So she's obviously someone who wrestles with the big questions or uh, like all of us who struggles for a sense of meaning or purpose. So in a weird way, it kind of makes sense being that kind of thinker that she might end up embracing religion. Can't say the same about me, but... (laughs) But here's a bit of the article uh, from Interfaith Voices, I believe. Anne Rice called back to darkness. Vampire novelist Anne Rice has a conflicted soul. When we talked to her in 2009, she had abandoned atheism and returned to the Catholicism of her youth. Committing herself to chronicling the life of Jesus, she told the world she was, called out of darkness, and swore off books about the fashionably undead. But just a year later, her faith fled once again, and the vampires came back. But this is old news. It looks like the only reason why it's being dredged up again is because she recently did an interview with Interfaith Radio, I think it is, if anyone wants to check it out. But these stories about her becoming Christian again, uh, (laughs) leaving Christianity again, um, these stories go back to like 2010 or 2012. I think she still considers herself Christian. She just gave up on organized uh, Christianity. But just so I don't leave you hanging, I'll actually uh, read a quote of hers that actually dates back to um, July 2010. Wow. Today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being Christian, in quotes, or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious. I didn't even know that was a word. It, It is. She's an author. She has a big vocabulary. And deservedly infamous group. For 10 years, I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. I'm out. In the name of Christ, I refuse to be anti-gay, I refuse to be anti-feminist, I refuse to be anti-artificial birth control, I refuse to be anti-democrat, I refuse to be anti-secular humanism, I refuse to be anti-science, I refuse to be anti-life. In the name of Christ, I quit Christianity and being Christian. Amen. Well, in her own words, she says she quits being Christian, but she's still committed to Christ, so it's confusing. 
you would think that by definition that anyone who devotes their life to Christ would be considered Christian, even if they don't belong to any specific denomination. But what do I know? So I believe it was either last night or today, but the terrorist group ISIS released yet another execution video. What makes this one different is that instead of beheading their victim, they actually burned him alive. They took a Jordanian pilot that they had captured and it is just awful. I actually watched the video uh, against my better judgment. And I just searched for ISIS executes pilot or something like that. Uh, not Pontius Pilot, but P-I-L-O-T. You know what I'm saying? I shouldn't be joking. Um, and the first result that came up is pretty weird was uh, Fox News. But I guess Fox News has been taking... Uh, a stand on this story and saying that they want people to realize how horrific and brutal um, ISIS's actions are. And that's why they've been showing still images as well as the whole video. And uh, I'm no fan of Fox News, but, but I kind of see the logic in that. Other news outlets aren't showing any of it because as some have described it, they think it would be tantamount to torture porn, basically, to put it crudely. And I did watch it, and it's horrible. I mean, it's like a 22-minute long video. The first maybe 15 minutes or something is just a really slickly produced propaganda video. And the execution takes place maybe in the last five minutes of the video or something like that. And it's really weird because at first you almost feel like you're watching a Hollywood movie. You know, there's all these slick graphics and it shows the prisoner in his orange jumpsuit walking through the desert kind of in slow motion. Very bizarre. Then it gets all too real. They basically, they put the pilot in a cage and I take it that he just from the way the thing unfolded that they must have doused him ahead of time with some kind of accelerant or something. They, they put him in a small uh, metal cage, and then there's a trail of accelerant, a path of accelerant leading away from the cage, and a masked executioner basically touches a flaming torch to the accelerant. And this poor guy is trapped in the cage, and he watches as the uh, trail of flames speeds towards him. And then it, it, the flames make it inside the cage, and he just goes up instantaneously. So, like I said, he must have been doused in something. And it, it was just so surreal and nightmarish. And it didn't look like, once it starts, it didn't look like they really um, did too much time-lapse editing. So it, it looked like the whole thing only took a couple of minutes and it was just so unbelievable. At first, the guy is kind of almost absurdly kind of flapping his arms like wings and kind of making all these strange panic gestures, almost looks like he's dancing. And then you can see the fire really taking effect. And the guy's just 
engulfed in flames like a human torch. You can see he's struggling to get out of the cage. He's he's futilely, you know, grabbing the bars and trying to to get through, but he can't. And he falls to his knees and he rests his head on the bars. Then all of a sudden, like something out of a horror movie, it's like he's just gone. And all of a sudden, he's just a charred corpse. It's just, it's unbelievable how quickly he goes from a living human being in what must be unbelievable agony till you can see the life is just gone from the figure and it quickly just turns rigid and starts to fall backward and his body just kind of collapses and I don't even want to describe it but they close up on his face and it's just really grim and ghoulish and uh, it's shocking and if that brutal death wasn't enough as soon as he's gone as soon as he's just a charred body on the floor of this cage to add insult to injury they take a bulldozer and they dump all this dusty rubble on top of him, all this rebar and concrete, and then they bulldoze the pile that his body is now trapped under. Uh, just horrible, nightmarish stuff. And I was tempted to almost get into this whole discussion about the Quran and how it's a mixed bag like the Bible and you can find stuff that's life-affirming and stresses the value of human life and you can find stuff that talks about smiting the infidels, blah, blah. Um, and actually, that one quote from the uh, Quran that, that sounds really positive on face value that you often hear quoted. And I think it's from the Quran, um, to quote chapter and verse, or rather Surah uh, 532. Uh, well, the quote, as it's often repeated, is, Whosoever killeth a human being, it shall be as if he had killed all mankind. And whoso saveth the life of one, it shall be as if he had saved the life of all mankind. And I'm actually, I mean, take this with a grain of salt, um... I'm getting this from a website called uh, patheos.com, and uh, the kind of tagline of the website is hosting the conversation on faith, but it looks like it's mainly an atheist website from what I can tell here, and, it, and it's suggesting that apologists will usually state that verse that I just read, but... If you t take it in context with the rest uh, of the verse uh, that it can be found in, it's not necessarily as life-affirming, or there might be a bit of a catch. And I guess the whole uh, verse, as it's quoted here, goes, For that cause we decreed for the children of Israel that whosoever killeth a human being for other than manslaughter or corruption in the earth, whatever the hell that means, uh, it shall be as if he had killed all mankind. And whoso saveth the life of one, it shall be as if he had saveth all. It shall be as if he had saved the life of all mankind. Our messengers came unto them of old with clear proofs of Allah's sovereignty, but afterwards, lo, many of them became prodigals of the earth. And so what they're saying here in their uh, 
explaining the interpretation of the above verse by someone named Ibn Kathir, I think it is, talking about how they're addressing the Jews here and um, this idea about you know, whosoever killeth one is, it's as if he murdered all of mankind, etc. This quote that seems to put a lot of emphasis on the value of human life, that this might actually have pre-Islamic roots or might be an idea that comes from Judaism, at least that's what they're claiming here. Um, And that, that bit at the end about after how our messengers came unto them of old with clear proofs of Allah's sovereignty, but afterwards, lo, many of them be, become prodigals of the earth. And then, you know, earlier it mentioned um, how you're allowed to kill someone for uh, corruption in the earth. So this quote that's usually meant to be very life-affirming, if it's looked at in context, it actually ends by possibly justifying uh, the taking of life or the taking of life of uh, non-Muslims. It should be mentioned that I believe this Jordanian pilot was a Muslim, I think. Not that his religion should matter. What should matter is that they burnt a living, breathing human being to death. And I just heard on a news story that supposedly this execution may have taken place as early as January 3rd, but it was just released now. And during the interim, uh, ISIS was was speaking as if this poor guy was still alive, so they could kind of use that as leverage or a bargaining chip. But just horrible. I, I don't care what goddamn religion you belong to uh, or how devoutly you, you follow the doctrine of your religion or whether you're, you're twisting and warping the doctrine for evil purposes, as apologists might want you to think, and, and that goes for Christianity, Islam, etc. How about a doctrine we can all agree on, that you don't burn your fellow human beings alive? All right. I'm pissed, can you tell? <laughs> I usually don't get that worked up. Uh... Let's see. But I guess that's it. Um, I won't bother with all the shameless plugs, Twitter, Facebook. You guys already know all about it. Uh, Thanks for listening.